Um, before I get going, though, with I was thinking earlier in the week, I was reflecting on, on last Sunday, and I mentioned this to those uh, kind of few of us who were on the prayer call on Wednesday. Um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, just how, you know, it was popcorn a little bit with people, you know, the Lord was just sharing with, you know, through people, and and uh, I felt like the Lord kind of said, well, Ryan, uh, you released the prophetic and you prayed over the church for that. What do you expect to happen? <laughs> and so, you know, having having said that, it was actually an encouragement for me that as we go through these different gifts, I think that's why the Lord just kind of put that in place, is as we go through these different gifts, that's my anticipation. I'm going to pray um, and release those gifts into the church. And as I release those gifts, let's expect, because I, I admit, I didn't expect, <laughs> okay? But the Lord was using that to say, okay, you need to expect to happen what you're praying, okay? So after the first of the year, and we're going to get back onto the gifts, and we'll, we'll talk about them. I'll, re- I'll release those, and, and specifically, I am having trouble with this this morning. I don't know what is going on. Um, but I'll release those gifts into the congregation, and we'll just anticipate that as that happens, those gifts will be there and present and start to work. Okay? Isn't that fun? I'm excited. Um, so uh, uh, if you would turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter number 7. Isaiah 7. I'm going to have to go through a little bit of history, and I don't have the blackboard this morning, so you all have to imagine with me. Most of you probably remember in 1990, um, uh, Saddam Hussein gathered his army and uh, gathered on the border of Kuwait and went right straight through Kuwait, if you remember. And then they were kind of gathering on the Kuwaiti border into Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia kind of picked up the phone and said, uh, hey, United States, we're about to get invaded. Um, can you help? They, they knew they needed, they could not handle Saddam Hussein and, and his army, and so they needed somebody bigger to say, can you come and help us and handle this for us? And so the United States put together a, a coalition of, of nations and went in and, and liberated Kuwait and uh, pushed Saddam Hussein's army back. Um, into Iraq, um, and uh, but it, they needed someone, Saudi Arabia needed someone larger than themselves to be able to handle the invading army. What we're going to look at this morning is very similar to that. If you remember, uh, after the time of Solomon, the uh, kingdom of Israel broke into two, right? You had, it ended up with Israel in the north, and Judah in the south, right? And so the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, a lot of times they were at war. Sometimes they were at peace and they worked together. But most of the time, it kind of fluctuated back and forth of them going, you know, battling each other and then helping each other out. Well, this was a time that they sort of wanted to help each other out but got ended up um, getting into war at the same time. So there, there was a bigger army called Assyria that wanted to come and invade the land. 
and they had already gone through many parts of the world. They were an enormous army, and they, uh, when they came through, there was, they did something that was very unusual. They totally decimated a land by um, forcing intermarriage between different people groups. I was kind of thinking, of it, uh, you know, how can I describe that today? You know, let, let's say you were, you were to take everybody in New England, and I'm going to include New York in that, okay? And New England kind of has its own culture, right? Don't, don't, don't we up here? It, you know, the way we, the way we talk, the, the way we say lobster, right? <laughs> First time we were up here, it was a whole different language. I was going... Oh, Lobster and Beezer and Leezer, and I'm going, what is all this stuff, right? But you, you take New England, there's a whole different culture. Then let's say you take the South. Totally different culture. But what if you were to take everybody in New England and everybody in the South, and you took all the men of New England and said, you have to marry Southern Bells, okay? And all the men in the South and said, you have to marry a New England lady, and you don't let anything else happen, right? And then you relocated them to Nebraska. Okay, oh. <laughs> can I just, if you, ha, if you haven't been around, uh, let me just use a colloquialism. There ain't nothing in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what are you going to end up having in Nebraska? You're going to have a totally different group of people. You're not going to have South anymore, and you're not going to have New England anymore, you're going to end up with a totally new group of people, right, with a new culture and a new language and a new um, kind of history that they don't have in common. And that's what Assyria would do, is they would come into a region and they would totally make a new people out of it. Now, mo so many of the kingdoms were um, familiar, though they were family groups at that time. Remember Israel? And Judah were one family. You had the line, the 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 um, Davidic line in Judah. That was who the kings were. It was all one family going all the way down. But what if you had somebody come in and you forced them to intermarry? All of a sudden, you have no people group any longer. You have no family line. You have no lineage. You have no son of David. See what I'm saying? So you've got Assyria out here, and they're about to come into the area. Now, Israel, the northern kingdom, um, knows this, and uh, they are getting together with another group called Aram, and they want Judah to come and say, hey, I want you to uh, come into an alliance with us so that we can stand against Assyria, because if Assyria comes in, we're all in trouble. And we're going to find Ahaz, the king in, in Judah, says, I don't really want to do that. So, oh boy, <laughs> all of a sudden got loud. I don't know what is going on with this this morning, but thank you. You can pray for me, Shannon. Pray for my mic. Um, so they're, they, want, they want Judah to come in and help um, and form an alliance with Israel and with um, Aram so they could stand against Assyria. 
Judah doesn't want to do that. So what happens? Israel and Aram say, well, we're going to come attack you instead. So that, and then we will replace you as king with somebody that we choose who will come into an alliance with us and stand against Assyria. Now, I don't think that's very smart, but that was, that was what was going on. Okay, so you, can, you kind of get a little bit of the background here. So let me, let's start with, uh, with verse 1 in chapter 7. Okay, so um, uh, Ahaz is the king in Judah. Um, he is not a very good king. He is, is uh, as, as kings go in Judah, he's pretty wicked. And uh, he gets even worse after this um, instance here. So it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped in Ephraim. Ephraim is Israel. His heart, in, his heart that's um, Ahaz, heart in the hearts of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz. You and your son shared Jashub at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. By the way, a fuller is a clothes washer. He went to the laundry. And say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear. Do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. By the way, um, I'm, I'm going to just kind of exegete as I go along here. Um, Isaiah uh, goes, to, goes to Ahaz with his son. His son, uh, it, the name means a remnant shall return. So it's really kind of a, um, if, if you will, it's the word in the flesh. God had told him, I want you to name him this. It's the word in the flesh. So he's going to Ahaz with an action parable, if you will. Okay? He's, he's, he's going to bring him a word, but he's also bringing his son, saying a remnant will return. Choose which one you want. Do you want a remnant to have to return? Which means you're going to have a group that's carried away. Right? Or do you want what I'm going to offer you? So he goes... Um, it says the, the son of Ramaliah. This is uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek in by Isaiah. He's actually insulting these, these guys. He's like, um, I he's so insignificant, I don't even remember his name, is, is what he's doing. Uh, these stubs of smoldering, smoldering firebrands, that's like a, a, a butt of a cigarette, okay? On account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramaliah, that that king, whoever he is in Israel. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramiah has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now without uh, within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Just pause there, just one, one moment. Um, you remember as I, as I said that uh, um, Assyria wanted to come in to Israel? 
um, in that area. Uh, that ended up happening in, um, a, uh, I didn't write it down, it's like 722, okay? And what, what they, Assyria did is they came in, they did exactly what I said. They forced them to intermarry, and all of a sudden Israel was gone, okay? You, you've heard of the Samaritans, right? Everybody heard of the Samaritans? That's what um, they were looked down upon in the New Testament. Remember, you're just a Samaritan. They're not supposed to talk to you. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were, they were Jews and then this other race of people that the Assyrians forced them to marry into and created a new group called the Samaritans. And the Jews did not recognize them because they were not, they were not fully Jews. They were this, this mixed race of people that the Assyrians forced them um, to marry into. So that's why um, after Assyria comes in and demolishes the northern kingdom of Israel, you have no more, you know, it, it, it roughly wiped out 10 of the tribes. They were, they were gone. Which is a totally different because Babylon comes in and takes Judah captive later, about 150 years down the line. But then they were able to come back because they, they just went into captivity. And yes, it was bad. It was horrible. It was a slavery. It was all of those terrible things. But they were able to come out because they remained a people group. But um, with the northern tribe of Israel, that didn't happen. They, they were forced to intermarry, and all of a sudden, the tribes were all gone. So Isaiah comes up to Ahaz, and this phrase he uses, if you will not believe, you surely shall not last. In the, uh, in the Hebrew, uh, I, I saw I read one commentator. He said it's really short, and it's, it's, it's almost, you, you could almost translate it, trust or bust. <laughs> now, the, you, know, you don't have much option here. You can believe or you're done for. Now, really, I believe this, and some of the commentators I've read, this is the point that, that God comes to the, the king of Israel, so the, the Davidic line, the, the, the son of David that is ruling right there in Israel. And this is the point that he brings the question, are you going to have faith in God or do I, if, am I going to have to bring judgment on you? Are you going to turn and are you going to trust the Lord or are you going to go into captivity? Are you going to let me fight your battles for you or are you going to trust in yourself and the gods of the age, other countries and kingdoms and I'm going, to act, I'm going to bring judgment upon you from another group and you'll go into captivity? This is the time that that question happens and it's all about what is Ahaz going to answer and it will make an eventuality out of is God going to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah at a later point? It's a this question. Are you going to trust me or are you going to bust? He brings the question to Ahaz. And there's no answer. 
What do you have between? There's, there's this pregnant pause in between 9 and 10. If you look. Ahead of it. Um, if you will not believe, you'll surely not last. And Ahaz doesn't say anything. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself. From the Lord your God, make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Basically, ask a sign to shake heaven and earth. But Ahaz said, I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now, this is, remember, this is the prophet of God, Isaiah, asking with the Lord's words in his mouth, Ask of the Lord whatever you want, and I'll give you the sign. So Ahaz is, this, this isn't Ahaz all of a sudden having a real change of heart and being very pious, okay? He's kind of, he's kind of uh, giving a tit for tat with Isaiah, all right? I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Isaiah responds, he said, Now listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you'll try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means, thank you, good job. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So really, a lot of this passage is about hope. It's about hope. Let me, let me tell you why I... I why I see that in this passage. Ahaz, um, his hope in a lot of ways had been shaken. He goes up to the Fuller's Field in, in, at the time in Israel. Their, their water source for Jerusalem was outside the city walls. So if a, an invading army came in, they could stop up that water source and all of a sudden, Jerusalem's dead. You know, uh, we, we talked a few minutes ago about losing power. And uh, I'm sure everybody in here, you, you know, during the winter or storms, whatever, you lose power for a week. And we're on a well, and we need no water. No. But we can, you, can, you can go to the store and get water, right? Yeah. Right? And there's, there's other... Around here, you've got an opportunity. What if you're in, Israel, you're in Israel and your only water source, you're in Jerusalem, your only water source is stopped up and you have nothing? So he's up there, and it doesn't say this, but it seems like he's inspecting. I've got these armies wanting to come and invade. What am I going to do? What am I going to do about this water? How am I going to move this water source inside the city walls? How am I going to protect this? Because this is our lifeblood here. His hope is shaken 
by um, the possibility of invading armies. And what, what does he do? He says, well, what can I do about it? What, what is it in my power to do? Now, when you start to lose hope, that's the first thing a lot of times we look for is, is what are the world systems that I can use in order to have hope in them? What Ahaz wanted to do, because you've got these uh, two other kingdoms, Israel and, and Aram, that are going about to come and um, to invade. So he wants to do an end around. So he goes to Assyria himself and says, you know what, we'll become your servants. We'll pay you tribute if you will come in and take care of this Israel and Aram problem for me. And Assyria says, okay, we'll take your money. So they come in, wipe out Israel and Aram and say, okay, we'll give us some more. And we say, we, they, we don't have any more. Well, we're going to destroy you too. He looked for the world systems. What happens when you, when you start losing hope? You start looking for the world systems in order to have hope in. He looked at himself. What, what can I do in order to um, take care of the situation? Well, I need to find a way to, to solve this water issue. I need to find a way that I can keep Assyria from coming and invading I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll, and what he ends up doing is um, they take all the money out of the temple. They strip the temple down. Remember all the gold? And, yeah, we'll strip it all out. We'll get all the utensils. We'll send them to Assyria and, and pay Assyria to, uh, we'll pay Assyria to not come and attack us. And you've got the world systems. When you start losing hope, you start looking at the world systems in order to try to regain your hope. Of course, remember, Ahaz is a... Um, Ahaz is an, one of the more evil kings in, in Judah. And he, then Isaiah comes along and he gives him an opportunity. He says, look, don't worry about these guys. Don't worry about them. God can take care of them. God can take care of Israel. And they're, they're just, they're just the, the butt end of a cigarette. You know, what you toss on the ground and, and squish. That, that's all these things are to God. Don't, don't worry. And what, is, what does uh, Ahaz do? So he, like I said, he, he looks to the world system to gain hope. By the way, um, yeah, let me... Let me yeah, I'll do that now. Um, you know, in today's society, it, that's really easy to do. There's a lot of people who have lost hope right now. Hope that we're ever going to be back to normal. Right? Hope for kids to actually have an education and be able to go to school normally. Hope that um, our businesses, because so many businesses have, have, have shut down or been impacted by COVID. Hope that we're going to have all the groceries and such that we, 
that we need in the grocery store. Hope that we're not going to run out of toilet paper again. And what we, can, uh, what we can do is we start looking at the world systems to help us. Well, the government's just not working hard enough. Well, what if our government will align with somebody else? Maybe we can pay them to help us. I know, let's get China to help. Right? And we do that as, as a group, but we do it individually. We start looking around and saying, okay, how, where, where is this hope going to come from? See, but not only does he say he loses hope, he starts looking at the world systems. How can I solve this? How can someone else, you know, how can the world system solve it? But then he rejects the messenger of the Lord. Isaiah comes to him. And he doesn't even respond to him. He rejects the Lord's messenger. Now, when we lose hope, this happens fairly regularly. Because people who are beginning to lose hope don't want to be encouraged a lot of times. Let's be real. You know, you're, you're sitting there and, and can't can teach you a southern word. You want to waller in your misery. That's what a, that's what a pig does is they waller in the, in the mire, right? I think it's supposed to be wallow. But if you go to the south, they, they, it's, it's waller, right? You, they, you want to just be miserable. And if you don't want somebody coming along saying, you know what, everything's going to be okay. No, it won't. Just leave me alone. Right? God's going to take care of this. Do you really know where I'm at? Come on. Anybody else been there or has it just been me? Okay? A lot of times the Lord would, would send us a messenger to give us encouragement or to give us something to hang on to. Hey, you know what? God can take care. God has all the finances in the world. His word says, you know, that, uh, that he will uh, meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And when you don't have any money in your, your wallet, you're saying, I wish he'd open it up and send some to me. I don't know that he's going to, though. Stop telling me those scriptures. When you lose hope, you start looking around to the world systems, but then it's really tempting to reject the messenger or the message. A lot of times it's, you know what? I'm going to just put this on the shelf because I'm not quite sure I believe all the promises anyway. symptom of losing hope. This is what, by the way, this is what Ahaz, I believe, is doing. Don't be an Ahaz. Okay? We're gonna, I'm going to show you the resolution and what I believe is the prescription for hope here in just a moment. Okay? So, Ahaz looked for the world systems. How can I solve this? Including, this, is, this can be a world system right here. Right? Other gods, other idols. 
rejecting the messenger and the message, the truth. And number three, he gets religious. Verse 11, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, uh, your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ahaz quotes the scripture. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I won't put the Lord to the test. He gets religious. And when I'm saying religious, I'm not saying he, you know, people use that term differently. It's not that he decides to start going to church. He is using religion for his own purpose and not the purpose of God. He's taking something in Scripture and twisting it and, and using it for his, uh, what, he, what, he, what he wants rather than what the purpose of Scripture is. And really, what, what ultimately it is is it gets to be a religion. You choose religion over the relationship. It's religion over the relationship. He loses hope, and so all of this, all of this gets to be religion instead of a relationship. It gets to be you're looking at things and you're twisting them and you're using them for your own good instead of what God is wanting to actually say and encourage you. Ultimately, what you, what you end up happening and seeing with Ahaz is um, he uh, decimates the temple. He, he, become, he begins to worship idols even more. He, he gets the, um, the plans for the altar that's in Assyria and brings those plans to Judah and says, make me one of these altars so we can worship at this altar. Because if it, if it worked for Assyria, maybe it'll work for us. He starts um, doing some form of witchcraft and reading the entrails of, of uh, animals. And he, he, he goes deeper and deeper so that it's, it's, it's religious, right? But it ends up being a false religion. Now, we can, we can do the same thing. Now, I don't expect any of us to start opening up animals and reading their stuff or, get, you know, or, or, or creating an altar, but you know what? We begin to look at other gods. We begin to look and see what, uh, you know, if it's, if it's working for the, this other group, maybe it'll work for me. If, it, if it's, you know, um, Jeff Bezos has a lot of money. Maybe whatever he's doing will work for me. We get really religious. And we forget all about the relationship. The relationship that God wants with us. We might go through the motions. We might even go to church. We might even open the Bible. But we begin to twist it and use it for our own purpose. And we forget all about the relationship that we have with God. Because there's no hope. We lose hope and we will lose the relationship. And we begin to go through the motions. Now, the prescription for the hope is this. Listen now, House of David. 
sorry, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We know out of Matthew chapter 1 that this is the verse that was quoted for Mary. Now, number one, how is this hope? Let's think about this. This is, this is back in the, in the 700s B.C. How is this hope for, for Ahaz? Well, Isaiah is saying, look, there is still going to be a line of David. Assyria is not going to come in and totally wipe you out. It's not going to have, you're, the, the, the kingdom of David is not going to be completely t- wiped out. The line and lineage of David is not going to be totally decimated. There will be a line, and God himself will fulfill his purposes. Just like in the, in the reading a few minutes ago, God will fulfill his purpose. God will fulfill his promise. God will fulfill all those things that he's put in the scripture. There is hope because God said it, and he will not abandon his word. But what's amazing is, is that it will come with someone called Emmanuel. You want hope? It's God with us. Let me explain. It's really, too, it's really easy to blame a God who is distant. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He has no idea what it's like to lose somebody, to lose a spouse, to lose a child. How can this God understand when it, what it's like not to have anything to eat? But Emmanuel, God with us. See, the amazing thing is, is that God became one of us. He lived as one of us. He, knew, he knows what it is like to sleep on the hard ground. He knows what it's like to drop a hammer on his toe. He knows what it's like to lose someone. From all indications, he lost his dad at an early age. He knows what it's like to, to suffer. He knows what it's like to have friends around him. He knows, he knows what it's like to, to, to live in a, in a group of people and, and to not have a, a roof over his head. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to have joy. He knows all the ins and outs of being a human being. And because he knows, we can go to him for hope. When we are tempted to lose hope and we're tempted to look around at other systems, we can go to him because he knows what it's like he knows what it's like to look around at the world and, and, and see a, a Roman government 
right? That is, that is subjugating his own people. And a puppet king in Herod that was doing awful things to the Jews. He knows what it's like to live in a, in a bad government area. He knows what it's like. You, you want, I mean, he can relate to, the, to those who are in communism. He can relate to those who are in terrible parts of the world because he lived it. You want hope, you can go to the one who's been there. You can say, if Jesus had hope in this dark situation, I can have hope. It's Emmanuel. We can be tempted to reject the, the messengers, but when you know that it's God with us, when you know that he is with us and loving us, then you'll be much less tempted to reject those messengers or the message. Because he's, like I said, he's been there and he knows what it's like to be in pain. He knows what it's like to, 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 uh, to deal with people who have no hope or to be able to be on the cross and tell his friend here, Take my mom into your home. You can look at someone else and you can say, you know what? That's God in them wanting to speak to me. And you can recognize the Emmanuel that resides within them in order to come and to give you encouragement and hope and strength. And you can call upon the Emmanuel who resides within you to say, please encourage me and help me. And then we can be tempted to get into religion. We can realize that that relationship is the closest relationship that you can ever have. Because it may be a temptation, but the Emmanuel resides within you. God in and with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And if you will ask, if you will seek, if you will open your heart up to him, that relationship is always just a step, that one step, just that one ask, that one, that one word. That relationship is right there. Closer than your spouse, closer than your friend, closer than a brother or sister, immediately, right there. So don't be an Ahaz. Don't lose hope. Don't look to the world systems. Don't look to, but know that Emmanuel has come. Emmanuel, Jesus has come that we may have hope and hope in him so I'm going to pray but this is what I'd like to do if you because look I, I, I recognize that um, the last couple of years have been one that have been difficult to hope in for many different reasons if you need hope in your heart for something 
You don't have to tell me what it is. Um, I'm going to pray. And if you just, as I pray, put your hands over your heart. And I'm going to ask the Lord to restore his hope within you. Okay? So, Lord, I thank you right now that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You're with us. You're in us. You surround us. And, Lord, I'm asking right now for each person here and has their hand over their heart, that you would be more than real to them. Lord, that you would give them hope for whatever situation that they are facing, that they will, they will realize that you are so close and that you care and that you love, that you surround them, that, that you are for them. Lord, we... We live in a world that is so hopeless right now, but I pray that everyone in here will be the most hopeful, hope-filled people in this entire area. Lord, touch each person here. Grant them your hope, your love, Lord, your peace, your joy. Let it fill them to overflowing because you fill them to overflowing. Lord, I, we, we rejoice with, with Steve and Janie that uh, you protected them. Lord, we, we realize that uh, what the devil meant for evil, that you meant to spread your gospel. Lord, you, um, you do wonderful things like that, Lord. We thank you so much for your protection and thank you that that protection is real. And I... I speak uh, that word and that seal of protection over each person in here. Lord, whether it, it Lord, as I pray regularly, that uh, from sickness or disease, from accident or injury, Lord, that everyone in here would be sealed by your spirit, that your angels would surround us, that your angels would keep us from even striking our foot against the stone, that you'd give them charge over us. Lord, that you would um, go before us and be our rear guard. Lord, thank you that you have uh, given us evidence of that protection even this morning in that testimony. And Lord, um, it's, it's great to, to see your gospel go forth because of it. So we thank you, we praise you, in the name of Jesus, amen.